Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of God. We continue in this series... Uh, that addresses us as parents and you as children, you as kids, those of you who are in here who are children. And as we do, we discover some uh, things today about discipline. What we're talking about today reminds me of uh, something that happened with Hannah's uh, volleyball team. Hannah plays volleyball down at uh, North Greenville. This is her senior year. And her team last year struggled to finish. They would get to uh, a point of, uh, of uh, being able to close out a game or the opportunity to close out a game. And when they got to the close, they couldn't finish. And so that causes you to have very near wins. Hannah has told us before she'd rather get beaten badly than nearly win. She hates nearly winning. And so she said that a week before last, the coach decided to bring in the men's volleyball team who can beat the women's volleyball team all day long because of their uh, height and because of their strength. And he decided to bring them in and they would practice against the men's volleyball team. And the men's volleyball team would allow them to get to 21 to 21. And she said, once they got to 21 to 21, then what would happen, or what the coach did, is said to his girls, if you don't win this game, you'll run. And so they would play those next four points as if their life depended on it because they didn't want to run. And so on Saturday, a week ago, I was there watching her. They come up against a team that is better, at least ranked than them, and they are playing them. They beat them soundly in the first, um, uh, the first uh, game and uh, the first set, and then in the second, um, they uh, get down, and I'm thinking, oh my. Now, at this point, I don't know what's going on in practice, but they're down. And uh, they came back and won that and won the third, winning three to nothing. And Hannah said, I'm convinced the reason we won today is because of our practice this week. 
because of what the coach put us through is the reason we were able to win today. That very much is what this passage is about. The word here uh, says, you have not yet struggled against sin. That word struggle is an athletic term. It, uh, if I say it in the Greek, I seldom do, but I'm going to, because if I say it in the Greek, you will recognize the word in English, antagonizomaya. All right, so antagonize. You have not yet antagonized against sin, the writer of Hebrews says. It is a word that points to an athletic contest, to uh, when the game is on the line, when you've got to close, when you have to finish, you have not yet resisted or antagonized. Antagonized, he says, to the point of shedding blood. Now, the writer of Hebrews writes this to people who are being persecuted, but their persecution has not yet reached the point or the height at which they have died, though others have already at this point. Others have died, they have not yet. Notice that little word, yet. You have not yet shed your blood in your struggle against sin. Uh, For the Hebrews, this is a struggle against Satan. It is a struggle against sin, uh, and it is a struggle against all the forces that come together to make life really hard for a believer. And the way the writer of Hebrews answers it or understands it is to say that this struggle, this suffering in and of itself can be viewed as the discipline of God. It is the discipline of God. And it is almost a sermon within a sermon because as we uh, dissect the discipline of God, we are able to see how we as parents should discipline our children. Why is that? Because God is the perfect parent. And if he is the perfect parent, he will discipline perfectly. It only makes sense to model such discipline. If he is the perfect parent. So here we have a sermon within a sermon or a lesson within a lesson. And so uh, let's look at two effects of God's discipline and we'll discover two effects of our discipline as parents. Number one, discipline demonstrates the love of God. Discipline demonstrates the love of God. Uh, uh, The writer says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Think about Jesus and what he went through. And then in verse 3 or verse 5, he says, and have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And the writer of Hebrews goes back to to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and quotes them. And, And here's Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
Now, this word address is Paul says, uh, or the writer of Hebrews says, if you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you, it means to make an argument from Scripture. To make an argument from Scripture. And so Scripture in Proverbs 3 is making an argument. And so what is the effect of the discipline of God? It demonstrates his love. Discipline. What is discipline? When we think of it, many images may come into your mind. All right? So it depends on how old you are, I think, on what we think of when we think of discipline. All right? So when I think of discipline, I think of a switch. I think of a belt. All right? I'm just shooting straight here. And I think of getting rowdy on a couple of occasions in school and along wooden things, students, these things used to exist called paddles. Anybody experienced that before? All right? So look around. We survived. Uh, I, I, I mean, just... just a paddling, all right? So believe it or not, nerd that I am, I got a couple in school, all right? A couple of paddlings in school. And some of you students are like, wow, you know, teachers could hit kids with boards. Yes, <laughs> they could, all right? Yes, they could. And, uh, and uh, don't have time to get into that. All right, so, so at any rate, I recall being in the seventh grade And in the seventh grade, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was, you know, hormones or what was going on or everything is happening to me. But all of a sudden, I guess I began to somewhat unravel. I remember Miss Gilkey pulling me out in the hall, right? Miss Gilkey pulled me out in the hall and she said to me, what is wrong with you? And Miss Gilkey wouldn't hurt a flea. So if she pulls somebody out in the hall, I was being bad. And then I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Bounds, and Mrs. Bounds was in my, se- in my seventh grade, and um, I just don't know, we just didn't click, and I know it was my fault, but we just didn't click. And I remember one day she looked at me, and she, or she looked at our class, and she said, the next person who speaks without raising their hand is going to get a paddling. <laughs> okay. That opens it wide up. So then nobody talks and we just go along and all of a sudden they're calling kids to get their pictures made for the yearbook and I thought they said my name and I just said, did they say my name? Out in the hall. (laughs) That is so unfair. I'm like, what? And so I go out in the hall, she gets another teacher, lights me up right? Paddles me right there for that. Still remember it to this day. She paddles me for that. So when we think of discipline, there are a lot of different things that come to my mind. And and there are a lot of different things that roll through our minds. But discipline is two things. And this is important to remember. Discipline is two things. It is correction and instruction. All right, it is course correction and it is instruction. It is, this is how to do it and this is what happens when you don't do it. All right, so discipline involves both. If you as a parent do not teach your kids what they should or should or can or cannot do, you are not uh, allowed by your own lack of parenting to discipline them 
for what you didn't tell them to do. That's so unfair. And so it takes instruction, and then that instruction is followed up by correction when they don't do it as they should. Now here's the question. We are in a culture which, see, which sees that as not being so good at times. It sees it as being, uh, being maybe uh, mean or, uh, or ugly or rude or whatever. However, here is what the writer of Hebrews says. That when God disciplines us, it proves we are his kids. That's what it proves. How does that work? Here's how it works. It works like this. If I am in a restaurant and there is a kid who is throwing a temper tantrum and acting up, and I'm over in my own, in, at my table eating, I don't get up and go over there, yank that kid up and discipline him. Why? He's not mine. I only discipline my children. All right? I only discipline my children. And if it is my kid, then I discipline my kid. What does that show? It shows I love my kid. It shows that I love him. It shows that I love her and that I love him or her enough, here we go, to risk him or her not liking me temporarily. All right? I love him or her enough to risk him or her not liking me temporarily in order that he or she may be able to love me and others long term. That's what it shows. Discipline shows that we are loved. As a matter of fact, if, it, if, you, if we read on, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This term, illegitimate children, is a strong word. It means uh, one born not in lawful wedlock, but maybe born of a concubine uh, or a female slave. It means they're not heirs. There's nobody who's investing in them. They have no inheritance. They draw nothing from the family line. For them... Their father feels no responsibility. Dad, somewhere, has checked out. And you can talk to the numbers of school teachers in this room today, and they will tell you the most insecure kids who sit in their classrooms don't have a dad in their lives. They don't have somebody who, by drawing clear boundaries around that child, helps him or her to feel secure. There is something about discipline that draws boundaries around your children that 
makes them realize they can't wander off anywhere and do anything because there is a dad who cares, a mom who cares, who will enact discipline when they do. Parents, when you discipline your children, it is the best way that you can say to them, I love you. It is loud love. It is, it is uh, building love. It builds confidence in your children to put the boundaries around them and then to deal when they cross those boundaries. It is critical. And when God does it, it says to us, he loves us. When God doesn't allow you to go on in your sin, when God calls you, as a matter of fact, when I sit with people and counsel them and they're thinking through their walk with the Lord, and if they begin to say to me, I I was doing this, and all of a sudden something pounded me here, and, and I had to stop, do you know what? Immediately I know, child of the king, son of God, daughter of God, Spirit working from the inside out to correct. Spirit working from the inside out to discipline. God disciplines those he loves. Discipline displays the love of God. It shows a deep love from him to his children. Henry Blackaby said the first funeral he ever did as a pastor up in Canada is where he was serving. The first funeral he ever did as a pastor, Blackaby said, that was for a little kid. He said, I would visit the home of this this family, visited on more than one occasion, and they would tell their kid no, and the kid would just look at them and laugh, and, uh, a little three-year-old, look at them and laugh and just run the other way and do, do his thing. He said they thought it was cute. They thought it was funny. They let him go. One day, they were out in the front of the house. Their little boy headed straight toward the street They yelled at him and said, no, no, just like they always did. He turned and looked at them and laughed, turned around, ran right into the path of a car and died while they watched. Oh, they thought that was cute. They thought that was funny. say, wow, Jerry, that's an extreme example. It is. Except this. If you refuse now, when your kids are young, to draw the boundaries around and then gradually widen those as they get older and become teenagers and gradually draw those out, when they go to college, they will run in front of the proverbial cars of life and self-destruct They'll do it. They'll do it. Discipline demonstrates the love of God. Number two, uh, discipline develops the character of God. 
Discipline develops the character of God. Look at verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the fathers of spirits and live? All right, so this is a lesser to greater argument. If, if earthly parents discipline us and it results in respect, now let me pause for a moment because I know some of you had parents who did not discipline you right or well. All right, they, you may have been abused by your mom or by your dad. You may have been neglected by your parents. And for you, this is a difficult jump to make. All right? we've already established that God is the perfect parent. Now listen to this. It it says, shall we not much more? So we've got an earthly parent disciplining an earthly kid resulting in respect for that parent. And so that then, if that's how it works here, then so much more when God disciplines us, we respect him more. Here's the point. Your discipline as earthly parents Set your children up to receive discipline from God. That's the point. Your discipline as earthly parents set your children up to receive discipline from God as their heavenly father. You discipline them now and they will be able to receive discipline from him when you're not around. And that's our goal, isn't it? Our goal is not that when they're 35... We're monitoring everything they do. Hopefully not. Right? Hopefully that isn't happening. Our goal is when they're 35. They're talking to God. God's talking to them. That's called maturity. So how do we do it? Be subject to. It means under the control of. It means God's in charge and we are not. Any of you have strong-willed children? All right. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Wendy and I have one. And, uh, and so, strong-willed children, what do you have to say repeatedly? Here's what we've had to say on more than one occasion. Uh, listen, we're in charge. <laughs> With that tone of voice, hopefully. We're in charge. The second thing we've had to say I have no idea how many times is mommy and I always agree. All right? Why? Well, kids are masters at playing us against each other, aren't they? All right? If mom says no, maybe dad will say yes. If dad says no, maybe mom will say yes. All right? And so you, these boys down here are just cracking up because I'm, I'm on to them. All right? Their heads now are going down. They normally sit up, and so, and so boys on the front row, heads are going down. They're like, oh, we're busted. All our trade secrets are out. But that's what happens, isn't it? It's just what happens. And so, uh, so, um, so this, this discipline, we, it, it's control. It is not um, domineering or domination, but we submit. We're subject to. I love the grace in this. Besides, we have had earthly fathers, uh, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Parents, I want to uh, just kind of take some pressure off for a moment. 
You will mess up from time to time in disciplining your kids. Amen? Amen. You will. You'll make mistakes. Some of you will be too easy. Others of you will be too harsh. You will make mistakes. We discipline as it seems best to us. We look at the circumstances. We think through all of the factors, and we say, okay, based on this and this and this, this is what we ought to do, and we will make mistakes. We'll miss it. We'll miss it. That's what this says, as seem best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may what? Share his holiness. God's holiness is God's character. God's desire is that we act like him. That's his desire. His desire is that we share his holiness, that we share his character. That's the goal. That's the objective. It isn't to look good on the outside and to be horrible on the inside. It is to share the holiness, the character of God. We've sung about his love. It is to be loving as he is loving. It is to hate injustice as he hates injustice. It is to love truth as he is truth. There's so many elements of the character and the holiness and the greatness of God that we seek So his discipline of us develops in us the character of God himself. It makes us more like Christ. If that is the goal for God's discipline, then it is the goal for our discipline of our kids to develop in them the character of God. Now, the writer points out, and oh, is it true, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And all the people who've received discipline in the room say, amen. Amen. I made that horrible mistake as a kid. I don't know what I'd done, but evidently it merited a whipping. And so I got a whipping, and I was the epitome of a strong-willed kid. I'm just saying I was. I was a pill, a pain to raise at times. All right, just, uh, just because I'm stubborn, and I was stubborn as a kid. And I remember this. I was probably in the third grade, second grade, third grade, something like that. Dad gave me a whipping. I turned around and looked at him and did the dumbest thing you could ever do. I said, that didn't hurt. That's just stupid. Why did I do that? I mean, I just looked at dad and said that. And so he made sure he fixed that. And um, (laughs) it hurt the second time for the same offense. Discipline is unpleasant. Parents, please hear me. Please hear me on this. If your discipline does not make your kids uncomfortable, it isn't discipline. All right? Now, that discomfort these days really can range. What does it look like? Well, when they're old enough to drive, you take the keys. Right? You take the keys. And so they're hitching a ride with somebody, and everybody's wondering why. And then they have to either lie or tell the truth. Right? And that's uncomfortable. 
Gosh, when they're younger, it may take the form of a spanking. should be not all the time. It could take the form of, of a removal of privilege. There are so many different forms that discipline can take. Uh, the punishment should meet the crime every time. You assess what they've done wrong, and you respond. And we'll look at that in detail. We have one more sermon on this, on this thing of discipline. But if it doesn't create discomfort, it isn't discipline. So what does that mean? Honey, don't do that anymore. That's not discipline. All right? That means the next time you do it, the kid does it, you'll say the same thing. Right? That isn't discipline. It creates a certain level of discomfort. That's what the writer says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay. The word trained is an athletic term. Again, it means exercised by it. So there are two metaphors that the writer is ending up with here, and I want to touch on those for a moment. The one is trained, and then the other is peaceful fruit of righteousness. What does he mean by trained by it? All of you, I was in the Y yesterday evening, and I saw Noah Bush in there working out, and Noah's bigger than he was a year ago. And why is he bigger than he was a year ago? Because evidently, on a regular basis, he goes and works out. That's how you build muscles. You train. You do that again and again and again. All right, I've seen Nathan in there quite a bit in the mornings. You train. You do it again and again and again. All right, so parents, what does that say to us? You will teach your kids the same thing how many times? Oh, my. You will wonder, did you not get that? The 483rd time I said it to you? That's okay. That's okay. Don't over expect your kids to get it. Your job is to be there when they're three and when they're six and when they're 10 and when they're 14 and when they're 19 at the appropriate times in the appropriate ways. You train. You're like a personal trainer. And you say, yes, no, do it this way. You constantly do this. That's your job. You will get tired. You will get weary. Some days will drain you. That's your job. It's your task. It's your job. And it's nobody else's. Listen, it's not your, it's not your kid's grandparents' job to discipline them. It's yours. Secondly, peaceful fruit of righteousness. The writer chooses what he says on purpose. Why 
does he use this metaphor of fruit? Here's why. Here's why. If you go plant tomatoes, which I know are a fruit, right? If you go plant tomatoes, you will go put a seed in the ground or a plant in the ground, and you will watch that plant start to grow. And you will pull weeds from around it. You will put seven dust maybe on its leaves to get the bugs away from it. You will deal and treat and do all of the things that that tomato plant needs done over the course of time. Why? So that you can get what from that plant? Fruit. And you will do it for a good while without ever seeing any what? Fruit. It will grow, but there will not be fruit. It will grow, but there will not be tomatoes. And even when the tomatoes come out, what do you have to wait for them to do then? Ripen. It takes time. Fruit is produced over time. And that's how discipline works. It works over time. It is fruit produced over time. It isn't having the perfect kids when they're six or when they're 10 or when they're 15. It's not that. It is over time. You see that fruit produced, and as you see that fruit produced, it eventually ripens. And what is it called when you discipline well? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. We might translate that the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right living. That's what it looks like. How do you see that lived out? Here's how you see it live out, and I'm done. You see it lived out when your kids go away to college, they come home for fall break, and they love God as much as they did when they left. Or they get married and you step back and you watch them start to raise their own children. And when you do, you go, wow, I didn't know I would ever hear him talk like that. I didn't know I would ever see her do that. It is when your son or your daughter moves away and they look for the church where they live. Because they want to worship the God you taught them about. That's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You say, Jerry, how can that be accomplished? We go all the way back to verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility against sinners for consider him who endured from sinners such hostility we do it with jesus in mind there's no way we can do this unless christ in us is causing it to happen would you bow your heads 
Our praise team is going to come, and we're going to close with a song and give you an opportunity to pray this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray about whatever it is you want to pray about. Specifically, we're going to give you an opportunity to talk to your Father God. And I want to speak to anybody in the room who doesn't know God as Father. Perhaps you're here this morning and and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And you say, "I I don't have this concept of Him as my Father, as God is my Father. If I look at my own life, I wouldn't say that I really even like my own dad. How then can you have a relationship with God as Father when you didn't have one with your own earthly father? Well, here's how. That God sent, 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 sent his only to make himself known to you so that we could look at Jesus, we could consider him and say if Jesus would die, on the cross for our sins. If he would struggle, antagonize against sin like that, then maybe, though my earthly father may have had nothing to do with me, I have this father in heaven who loves me enough to send his own son to make me one of his boys, to make me one of his girls. And you can pray and trust Christ as your Savior. You say, how do I do that? Here's a simple prayer that if you've never trusted Christ, you can pray to him right now. God, I know that I am a sinner. And I need you to save me from my sins. I am sorry for this. I believe that you died, Jesus, on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. And today, I receive you as my Savior. God, today I receive you as my Father.